Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Explicit Measures Podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everyone. How's it going? It's a short week this week. We only we had a holiday on. For those of you who are not in the United States, we had a holiday on Monday, and I just yeah. feel like I just. It still feels like Wednesday to me right now. I'm I'm, I'm flabbergasted. It's already Thursday, and it's already <sighs> June. Oh my gosh! Holy smokes! June. This inst- year is flying inst- by. June. Yeah, for real. Allergy season late. Oh, coming yeah. in, coming in hard. Tell me about the last it. Last couple of days have been we ha- we had an, brutal for me. We had a family incident around al- allergies. Are from me. I I weakened the family blood with my allergies. Uh, so my poor son uh, gets all kinds of allergies, and his eyes are just nonstop like itchy and tears. And so he was rubbing his eye so hard he got a corneal abrasion the other day. Ooh. Yeah. So we had to be like, tone it down there, bud. So some he's on some antibiotic drops. Eyes are getting better, but man, it was. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Never had that happen before. So, anyways, allergy season is really bad this year. <laughs> awesome. Everything's late. Is it just me? I mean, it looks like it's you were late this morning. This, this morning, Tommy. So yeah, I can see the that. one time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it's been snowing at my house with some of the trees, just the pollen oh, that's yeah. coming out. I'm like, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So over at a friend's house over the weekend and he, he lives in like almost a forest and it literally oh, just yeah. looked like it was yeah. raining the oh, entire right. time at all. Oh, not Blech. fun. Yeah. Not fun. Welcome to the all. allergy season channel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, I think we're all indoor boys now, I believe because of the computers. Like I say, I'm, 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 I'm an indoor <laughs> <You> boy. <think? laughs> Right. If I could bring my city sc- city slicker, yeah. Like, yeah. Yep, exactly right. Back in, back in the day, I used to like camping. Now I just you know, bring an RV. <laughs> <laughs> now I just visit hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll walk around the forest and then end up back at the hotel during the day. <laughs> <and> the <night>. Amazing. <laughs> Any kind of openers? Anything you guys uh, read or saw this week that was interesting? Wanna oh yeah, kick out yeah, some stuff here, man. You know who I realized we haven't talked a lot about? Uh, a gentleman. Gerhard Bruckel. Yeah. Right. He's been amazing stuff. And and for people in our space, I hope the name's familiar, but just one of the long time super solid rock star guys of of business intelligence, right? Been Mm -hmm. around just as long as I think is, you know, the Italians. But he had a, a a blog that came out yesterday that I cannot wait to try. So what he's done is used field parameters to drive data and value language translation within the report pretty cool concept it is like i'm really interested in like walking through his blog and like trying it out with our our environment because it's not a small task like there have Mm -hmm. been uh, blogs and articles out there how you do this within the models but it's it's kind of a large effort and i'm excited to uh dive in and and take a take a, a deeper look to see if I can apply it in our area because it's something that we need to do, and um, I just pasted it in the in the side chat for got it those those folks that are uh, joining us live. But yeah, for sure, check out that that article is what one Gerhardt creates great content, and two, this one looks uh, really interesting. If you need to do any sort of translation within Power BI. And not only does, not only is he amazing in his blog articles and and his things around the periphery of Power BI, he's my my go to guy for anything uh, Databricks related. He has built 
uh, a couple actually data connectors. Big big data. Is big Databricks his is his thing. Alaska, yeah. yeah. So he's he's heavily invested in Databricks, and he's even built a Databricks Visual Studio Code connector uh, that he has made. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely all in the code space and very very knowledgeable. Super technical. Love his stuff. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. So um, appreciate it, the effort. Uh, if you're listening or if you know of him, send him this this intro for the podcast today and let him know we we appreciate his wonderful contribution to the community and stuff. So thank you very much for your good articles. Kudos to the uh, Power BI community lately. The amount of, I have a bunch of RSS feeds and all that, and the amount of field parameter articles that I've been trying to save and then read has been immense and just what people have been yeah. using them for yeah and i mean it's hard to keep up with how many people are writing about power bi but really writing great content too that's and a, then that's, add, a, that, yeah. that's a, a general challenge hope, i think right? there's a general challenge i think about you know when people there's not a good collected area for power bi content mm-hmm. where you could favorite things and kind of come back to something you want to look at later on um oh i got people on linkedin asking can you tell us more about data marts tommy <laughs> Maybe you want to, maybe you wanna, have you, have you, so maybe we should very briefly, cause I've, I've been playing with it a little bit too, since the feature came out, Tommy, have you been playing around with it, Seth? How about you? I, Seth? Not a chance yet. Yeah. I, uh, I started to dive in and, um, I know I, I, I had some big words on Tuesday about the equivalent to the iPhone. It's, it's, it's more like a, it's good. It's more like a Samsung maybe. It's like an iPhone, but they forgot like the music part, like, <laughs> or the phone part. So I don't know. Like it's, it's, the idea is great, but they definitely, Seth, you talked about this. They, they always use this as the test, you know, the test center, the, you know, the, uh, the beta testers. This feels very raw to me. We're being able, trying to create measures is, I don't want to say difficult, but if, if I'm trying to import one of my data sets with very complex measures, this is exactly what I saw in episode one. You said the cloud was coming and I yep. said, yeah. And the experience is going to be terrible. Yep. And honestly it is because I, there's been a few times like I pasted in a long measure, but then I'm like, oh, I need to edit a few things. And then it just, something happens, it moves. And then I'm out of the data mark. Yep. What happened on that? De- so th- those kind of things yep. right now are a little difficult. I really want the ability though, because right now it's just direct query when you try to connect to it to be able to like connect to different tables or views because it's really just power BI data set in the cloud. I, I, That's really all it is right now. Uh, yes. So I see the potential for it to be more, honestly. I mean, I think so do I, as I mean, of right now though, where I, when I, so I started playing with it this week, I was just trying to get around data marts and get my head around and, and just, just start adjusting, you know, figuring things out for myself. Where does it make sense? Where, where do I like it? Where do I not like it? I do a lot of data sets where I build a data set in Power BI and then build a thin report. So that, that data model is very, or the data mm-hmm. set is very key to me for when I build, for my building procedure, whatever, my process, whatever you want to call it. Um, I am very convinced though, right now that I would like to use data marts to replace that experience, but I'm not sure it's there yet. And again, it's in public preview. So again, there's a lot of rough features around the edges. This is This is literally the, uh, hey, this is the minimum viable product we can get out the door for people to use it. And I think there's going to be a lot more in feature enhancements around it um, because it it totally makes sense. But to your point, so Tommy. Let me, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, go ahead. No, it's just going to say like, you know, a, a challenge question, right? Like, sure. To to my viewpoint, 
viewpoint, viewpoint yep. from the last the last episode when we were talking about data marts. Sure, it, right. It it definitely feels like a feature that could drastically change the landscape yeah. of how we do things 100%. in the future. And I equated it to how Power BI rolled out, right? Like, did it have all the enterprise features and all the, the bells and whistles that it does five years later? No. No way. Right? Yep. So so I guess my challenge question to you, Tommy, is obviously we're not in a state where it's the full-fledged solution that you want to be using on a daily basis. It may get there. But from a generic Power BI user who doesn't know all of the back end in different systems, is it in a place that they can use it? today like i said it i would just create your data set in power bi and publish that and just make that a uh, a blank report uh blank data set because it's again it, it does the same purpose to the if you're trying to connect to a report a data mart or a uh, power bi data set it's the same exact feature and functionality so i would just get comfortable using power bi desktop it's definitely more of a a more intuitive experience is a better experience. So I honestly would say, why try to deal with the browser trying to create the measures when you can have a better interface trying to create DAX uh, from the relationship point of view, you have more features available in desktop because the end result's exactly the same right now. So that's where I'm at right now. Again, I think it can explode into something that really does replace that, but it's not there yet. So here, here's, let me tell you, like, I'll give you a little flavor of like what I tried to get into for data marts just very briefly before we get into our real topic of the day, because this is getting to be a good intro topic. I like this one actually a lot. Um, so I have, I've gone out, I've created a data mart. I made a data mart on top of a SharePoint list that I had laying around somewhere. So I grabbed mm -hmm. that, pulled it in, made a measure, counted some stuff. Um, things I don't like about it or things that are, are struggling for me right now is how I create measures, can't put them in folders. There's a there's a oh lot of God. there's a lot of things you, like I you know it's it's supposed to be like modeling like a normal data model and what I think is happening here is I think really data mart is this join between it, it's the collection of now a SQL server and analysis services in kind of one user interface so mm. um, there's a lot of measure related things that I don't have the ability to, to adjust or do or move or those things bother me like I I'm really picky about ordering and, and things on my model. Um, yeah. I can't really do a whole bunch of other um, model level things that work well for me yet. So not there yet um, on that piece, on that front. I do really like, though, the interface. <clears throat> so there's some things that they've done really well is if you go into, like, the query editor or you edit a table, the editing of a table, I really like the experience of it. They give you, like, the graphical view at the top they have the table list on the left hand side you have the query settings on the right hand side and you can tell they're taking a lot of cues from what data flows is doing and bringing that here to this this interface which yeah. i think is actually very strong and i'd also think this is actually a pretty powerful um tool now because the way you can look at the m language and a table preview and how the data engineering looks is you know segments right. and merging table ta Really good. I really so that part. I think I can definitely see that this is this product has been born on the maturity of data flows. Because when data flows came out, I was like, can't use it. Too slow. Well, nothing works. They've definitely improved that part of this. Is and you can see that they've incorporated it. So this is so, the other so, problem. So we're gonna so, be here. Here, here's. I, I still want to stick to this theme though, right? Like we're gonna be in this conversation tone of like it. It still doesn't do this thing that I I do all the time. It still doesn't do this mm -hmm. thing that I like. Yep. 
I as a BI professional need to do when I build model. Like we're going to have that conversation, right? But I don't want to get stuck in that conversation, right? I, I, I want to yeah. focus like what are, how close, if it's not there yet, we know it's not there for for the the Uber enterprise user. Yep. How, well, like what are the key features that are mm -hmm. missing for its intended purpose initially here, right? Which uh -huh. is removing a lot of the complexity that we like to deal with on a daily basis because we like, you know, we all, we know everything under the covers. Yes. What are the key things that are missing that need to get out there for it to streamline the, the, the business user experience? Yeah, I, I do want to make a note. If I'm saying it's still raw and I'm the guy who has every beta, every beta tool out there, window, windows insider, like I love trying new things and it's because usually yeah. they have some features and I'm saying mm, not yet. I think really it's, Two main fundamental, saying, yeah. What are the specific? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, the two main fundamental things that would make me really say I'm going to really begin mm -hmm. to put this in my workflow is one, the interface from the the modeling point of view, creating DAX measures, order organizing your columns, just you know making a clean model like the data types, like all those little things that you want to do in prep beforehand is either very difficult or there's some bugs in it where you change something to currency goes to custom. So I would say that's my kind of first item. Two is the features available. What I think what it should be is the features available on the endpoint. So if I'm connecting to a data market, uh, yes, ish, that to me is where the fundamental part here is like, I will deal with every bug in the interface. If I had, I think what the features I more imagine works, it is kind of like a, in, I can import the table or we talked about where it, it can almost serve as something using Power Automate or Power Apps, really being yeah. that that interface. Right now, like I said, it's exactly a Power BI data set in the service that you connect to. It, it behaves exactly the same. There's obviously some changes, but to me, I would go through every trivial bug and if I had more abilities there, so. Yeah, I, I would say. I, and I, I, I could totally see I can totally see the the frustration around creating the DAX measure and just being like, okay, what what is it doing? <laughs> like, can I can I see that? And I'll deal yeah. with that if I had more yeah. feature, like you know, more. Sure. Yeah, I, okay. I I kind of agree with that. I think as well. I think I'd say so. One thing I did check out was trying to connect to the endpoint via Azure Data oh, Studio. Oh yeah, I did too. So I I tried to you know thinking, okay, maybe the model's not all there, but if it's analysis services in the back end, I mean I. Most of my editing that I do is all inside um, uh, Tabular Editor 3. That's what I do. So, you know, if you can give me, put the model up, fine. I don't have folders. The UI doesn't have it, fine. You know, these are, these are minor right. things in my opinion, with, right? Yeah. I can deal with it. You know, what I really need, though, is I need the ability to go into the SQL Server side. So, you know, basically connect mm -hmm. with SSMS or Data Studio create views and load tables or whatever I want to do there, I want to be able to use that. And then in addition to that, I also want to be able to use tabular editor three, you know, do my modeling. I'm totally, I'm fine with that because then I can create a measure, push the measure to the model, and then I can grab those measures and drop them on a, um, a pivot, a pivot grid, which then I can see, okay, these dimensions, this measure, I can check my, like, I'm fine with that. Totally cool. Can't right. quite get that working very well or reliably yet. So to me, um, I don't think this is ready for anything other than look at exists, play around with a bit, maybe make a data set, try it out a little bit, but I'm not sure I would put anything in production yet. 
around this at this point. I would just kind of right. It's more like to me a novelty at this point. It's not ready enough to right. even. I I think you're going to be if if I'm if I'm talking I'm I'm projecting here a bit, but if I was talking to a new user who's been using this for like a month or a week, I think I would get a, a feedback of it's a little too buggy. It's not quite consistent enough, and it takes a little too long to load things, mm -hmm. certain things through there yet. But um, I think it's a good starting point for where we're going to go to. So I'm I'm, yeah. I'm confident that it's going to get better, like you said, Seth. But let's not argue about like, oh, it's not quite there yet. I, yeah. I agree. Like, but there's there's definitely some clear, for me, there's some clear hooks that need to be solid for me right. to really adopt it and maybe move on to it. Yeah. One, of the, one of the other yeah, pieces okay. I'm having problems with here is where does the data come from? So now I feel like I'm getting a bit more in my in my head. I'm a little less clear about should I really be building a data flow first and then loading that transformed data directly into my data mart, or does the data mart do that for me with the data flow to get the data into yeah. the data mart? Well, and that's where I'm like, I don't know now. All good, yeah. all good questions, right? And I think I think of course some of that architectural recommendation stuff i'm sure is coming yes. it almost seems like the launch is um it's not premature right what yeah. i would recommend is this i i think i think the clear consensus is data marts are very likely to change a lot of the things that we do Agreed. right now is a good time to start playing with that get familiar with what their capabilities are yes. and how to use them and get plugged in because the more you know now as they start to fix these feature gaps or these missing things and produce more documentation mm -hmm. and we get closer to GA, like start now and, and just kind of get along for the ride. Is it something you're going to implement automatically in your production workspace? Like no way, not, no way. Right. You better not be implementing but, preview features in your but production. But get used to it, right? Get used to it. And, and, you know, we'll see where the ride takes us. It's kind of like Michael Jordan at 10 years old. It's definitely going to change whatever <laughs> they did, but he's not playing the big leagues yet. So I, I also feel like I read something on a blog somewhere that said Power BI data marts are not charging you for preview. So yeah. no, no. So there is there is and I don't know exactly what that means. There's also a recommendation of if you're turning on data marts, you should you should do it in premium per user because that way when Instead things instead of premium because <laughs> yeah. So Ooh. yeah, so just some things I learned around yeah, that one. So that was actually that was good advice there for me. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So if you're doing if you're playing with data marts, tr play with them in premium per user because that's a specified l capacity level of service that you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And if you have data marts on in a premium capacity, you will be absorbing capacity from your premium SKU that you won't be able to have for other so things. That's a really that's a really interesting and good point, right? Like typically. If you think about the preview features that are going to cost you money in Azure, yes, like those are pretty locked down, right? Like yeah, you're yep. the group, yes, and and when you know the pricing, you can turn it on and off. Exactly right. But if but if Data Marts is available to the entirety of your organization because premiums active, yeah, yeah, no. But think about this, like, and it's in preview, and you're not getting charged for it, like. What happens when they flip that switch? Are they going to say, hey, yep. by the way, your usage is X amount and you're going to have to bump up your capacity when we go GA? 
this is this is these are the I, things we're going to have to kind of be considered of. So I think I think we have to be very stay tuned. This is girls. yeah, Man. stay tuned to a future episode of of Explicit Measures where we discuss <laughs> right. how bad it's going to be. I owe Microsoft ten million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so so I uh, Seth, I think these are great questions, and I think this is exactly why right now, and this is where I feel like to me there's one major miss here on this one is you either turn on data flow data marts for the entire organization or you turn it on for none of the organization. Right now, today, in the admin settings, there's no ability for you to be able to turn it on just for a specific mm -hmm. group of people or even a specific set of user or resource or workspaces, whatever, right? I would like to think that turning on data marts for a set of users or workspaces would be an option we should be able to set at some point. That way, I don't have to come back as an admin and, you know, three months from now and stuff starts going a little bit more GA rate re related and start saying, okay, I got to go kill all these things that people are now relying on. I, I do agree ah. that I think the enablement should have, should have come the, the same way with the admins where yes. you can specify which yep. groups it's enabled 100%. for because the only option we really do have right now is PPU. Like you said, yep. To, to vet it. Yep. Exactly. Right. And even then I would almost argue like if you're going to vet this stuff, I mean, because you can't turn it on or off, you might be standing up at your own Power BI tenant somewhere else, right? <laughs> Trying to start start something else separately so that you can actually, you know, keep it away from your normal your your main environment, your your main tenant. Anyways, all right, all right, well, successfully derailed by the derailed. on LinkedIn. Yeah, congratulations, Said. It's all right. <laughs> I'm I'm cool with it. It was good. Good good question. I hope that kind of right. uh, rounded out some ideas or thoughts around data marts, how that worked for everyone. So thank you for the question. Uh, I think it was Saeed. Uh, appreciate your, your your question on that one. Hopefully that gave you some some feedback there around what our thoughts on around data marts are. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll have more thoughts for sure. This might be a, re a reoccurring theme for every <laughs> intro for the next couple of weeks. What, yeah. what, are, what are we talking about today? Oh. Today's topic is going to be kind of around uh, looking at forecasting or doing forecasting things inside Power BI. So uh, I guess, you know, the, the technical topic here is do we need more forecasting? And I'd like to start exploring what that looks like inside your Power BI reports. So, yeah. Uh, Seth, let's kick it off here. Set some mm. of the stage. Do you guys do you guys use forecasting? Where where does forecasting fit in your organization? Yeah, I th I think said I'll set a minimal stage and kick it back to one huh. of you guys. Uh, I I personally am not using it in the spaces that we are heavily involved in on a daily basis. Yep. I know our finance team is, um, mm. but mm -hmm. no no practical real term right like right now. Yeah. In the past, experiences tons of it, right? yes. when, especially when you're working with finance group or certain analysts, planning groups, you know, where uh, your, your, your ordering is based on past and, and, you know, forecasted future of where you think business is going to be yep. to make sure that, you know, your, your business is operating at peak perf performance or efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, lots of use cases in there. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a good tee up, Mike. <laughs> No, it's good. If we want to back it up and, hey, Tommy, you got any uh, use cases? Why don't you set up the topic for us? Well, <laughs> well, it, it's, that's a good starting yeah. point. I mean, so let's go over, I mean, Tommy, so finance space, I think for sure I've seen some forecasting there. Tommy, are you guys using forecasting? Are you doing projects right now that are around that today? Well, obviously that's kind of the crux of the conversation where there's so many features in Power BI to do the advanced analytics and the forecasting has been around 
almost since Power BI Designer, like uh, from the line chart using the seasonality forecasting. Yep. But honestly, I really don't see a lot of people utilizing that feature it's, at all. And it, yep. more, I mean, maybe it's cool to show, but no one's actually making a decision off of that or saying, oh, no, our forecast is up or down based on that built in feature. Which, so are we talking yeah. built-in feature or just forecasting in, in, in general? In general, in general. So yeah. do I, we, yeah. I would agree with that. I, I, I see more custom implementations to understand the forecast uh, in visuals as opposed to businesses making heavy decisions on the built-in feature. Right. And but so this even is, there, yeah. I, before, ahead, before we go down, I think too far, I think you're going into a very technical space initially here about like, you know, where is it working and maybe where is it good? I, I would maybe almost just say, let's take a cursory look at like where in Power BI can you add forecasting? And so I think I think there's kind of different levels here of what we're talking about for forecasting. And I'll give you some of the, where I think the weaknesses of the out of the box forecasting come from, from Power BI desktop alone. So first one that I'm aware of, and again, you guys fill me in here if I miss some some, some stuff here. One of the forecasting areas, you can go into a line chart and in the line chart, you can then cr click on the forecasting option there. So that's one of the forecasting areas that you can produce on. And then the, the I believe that forecasting option in there, there's like a whole section for like adding a forecast. Um, it allows you to add, it's like an ARIMA. Uh, the, there's a forecasting algorithm that you can kind of use. It adds seasonality. Uh, so if you want to look at like, hey, every, if you have data by month, by data points you could do every 12 months we're going to have some sort of cyclical seasonality so it's using 12 points 12 data points as a reference point for what seasonality looks like in our podcast or things on our website we have this very clear seasonality of seven days right the weekends clearly dip versus during the middle of the week when people are in, at work they're listening they're engaging with the website so for us there would be like a seasonality for our website around roughly the seven days so that's one thing of forecasting that I'm aware of. Um, I don't know if you would call this forecasting. This is another kind of data science thing that I, th I think I would kind of lump it in as like intelligence around your data would be kind of like the anomaly detection. So yes, it's not directly forecasting, but at least it's, it's helping me identify um, based on some data points, where is a single data point falling outside the norm? And I think some people maybe get around a little wrapped around the axle when you start talking about forecasting. Sometimes you can just use brute force statistics to help you figure things out. And I think that's what kind of what anomaly detection is doing. It's looking at a series of data points historically and saying, does this data point fall outside of a standard range of data points? And I think that's actually, I mean, from my opinion, that's pretty impactful because a lot of times when I was in the business side of things working on reports, no one knew when to, to yell, hey, I got a problem. Like any, any little dip that would happen on any little chart, like we're down 10% on sales or whatever. Everyone freaks out. They're like, ah, it's a problem. Okay, Does, is it 10% every time this year when we do? And so like, there, there's, I remember there's always like this hyper-focused from my standpoint. Everyone would like freak out. All the leadership would be like, I think this is a problem. We're going down. Like we need a we need a course correct, which which they should be, right? I mean that's right, right. But is it is it just normal? It's a hole in the ship. Yeah, but I mean, if we expect everything to come on a, if we expect all of our data or all of our sales to be this nice, even, smooth line all the time, we can't expect that. So there's the law of like large numbers, right? The, the more 
uh, data points you have, then you're going to have some sort of noise in it. And so are we actually, are we freaking out in the noise in the data or are we actually really needing to make a decision on something that's really happening, like a really bad thing that happened or occurred? So I, I, the, the use case of like avoiding the really bad thing, I, I think is valid. But the other, the other point to that though, is if you don't in some, in some use cases, where if you don't have visibility into the past and future, like you miss big sales opportunities, right? right? Because if if you don't predict the spike that always comes around, you know, Mike, yep. your point, like yep. a seasonal point or whatever, you run out of stock. Like what is what is the amount of sales that you missed, mm. you know, in, in those ranges that 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 is where I think forecasting in terms of like the making the money kind of thing comes in because yep. um you don't have that visibility. So as you start to analyze those data sets, you know, from a historical perspective, statistically look at hmm. all those anomalies or whatnot, that that certainly has a big impact. And I've seen, you know, in organizations for sure, using forecasting as far as like ramping up in production yep. to meet meet better goals um, during those timeframes. That's a and really, honestly, really yeah, good I use think... case right there. I really like that one a lot, actually. There's I think people yeah, underestimate yeah. the opportunity of missed to sales, right? Sales were there, but sales you didn't get what you wanted. Right. So again, this is where like this whole business thing is such a, a an animal. It's like it's like this really hard it's hard to nail. It's not a it's not a rule-based system. It's not, you know, do this then this works, right? If you run out of materials, sales go down. So what's the root cause of why sales are down? Was it because we couldn't have people actually wanting to buy stuff or we have not enough stock to do? Like there's a whole these other extra right. things that are going on here that you have to analyze and it's this is kind of again i'll go back to like the curse of power bi and ability just to add a lot of visuals i it's actually harder to do forecasting in power bi than it was in excel like i i feel like i built a lot more granted it was not scalable uh -huh. but we did a lot more not necessarily like three months out or six months out but the, those little tweaks like hey if we change cost here based uh, just doing some rolling averages and doing some basic run rates that honestly i don't see it in a lot of other reports and i don't because it is more difficult to do in dax uh the other part too like the miss sales agree. right well there's all of those other attributes now you can't just work on a given you know sell it's that column by column basis so it's a lot harder to have that ability from that anomaly point of view. So mm -hmm. that's why Power BI built it in. But again, there's not a lot of explicit measures or um, you know calculations coming out. The other thing we didn't talk about is the there's a whole other feature, the what if parameter, that I really don't see anybody talking about. And I don't know if people. It's not just that the feature's there, right? And I think my big thing is, do people? What are people relying on? Um, Obviously, the seasonal where we're going to be six months, but there's more to forecasting than that. A lot of my reports, like I said, are is very much like that historical trend year to date with previous year, you know. And if there's no goal or objective, uh, you know, like then it's what are you going to forecast, right? And maybe we're not asking the right questions. But what are those little things that we should be able to add? I honestly have really try to use all the pre-build features in power bi like the automated insights the line chart but again it's neat to see but i'm not going to use that to make a decision or communicate to you know our chief chief executive hey 
uh, we're looking like we're going to miss our target based on what? Like, oh, the seasonal, a seasonal algorithm Microsoft thought for PowerView, you know, like, and so we're not defining it enough. And another, another thing you want to measure, particularly when you're doing forecasting of things, if you're, you're, you want to measure your forecast against what actually happened. Right. Yeah. And that is becomes very difficult. Yeah. So there's right. Yeah. There, the algorithm that you run, and I think this is something that's a bit unknown to people or maybe people who haven't done it as much, the algorithm's always working as efficient as it possibly can. The, the algorithm is what it is. Uh, you can throw additional data at it. And if you use like more machine learning based things, yes, you can add some more features to it. Yes, you can you know do some uh, hyper parameterization of these different forecasting models if you wanted to. There's things you can do there that will help it. But at the end of the day, the data or the forecasting is only as good as the data you provide it. And so what you read on articles around data science is if you want better forecasting, have better data. That's like where the lemon is mostly from the, you get the best squeeze from that lemon, right? That's, that's where uh, you get a lot of rich insights from having a good, um, a better quality data. So where you, where I recommend when people ask like, well, it's not doing a great job. Well, spend more time making better data that will definitely improve your forecasting. And then, you know, there's, you know, you have these other formulas or characters, like there's this thing called a MAPE. Um, I can't remember the acronym for it, but I remember the, the name sticks in my mind. Uh, mean average percent error or something like that is, I think is what it's, um, what it's calling out. But the MAPE is uh, allowing you to then evaluate, okay, you forecasted 10 million. Did you get there? How, how far off were you? Is your forecasting even accurate based on what you've done historically? And I think that's another good measure when you really get into forecasting because you want to know, is, is the algorithm we're picking, is that a good one? Is it actually representative of our data or not? And that's what Power BI doesn't give you out of the box. So they're standard algorithms. Well, it's not just that. And I think you're, you might have just answered my question from the initial thought of the topic, but where even if you create your explicit forecast and you do the correlation, well, as soon as the data refreshes, whatever that forecast was is going to dynamically change. And you're not going to basically measure against what the forecast was at the beginning of the month, because again, it's always reflecting the refresh data. Yep. This is why we, mm. again, back in the day, we utilize Excel because you would just have this cell that it would always say the same, like, okay, this percentage copy the value. And we could always see how close we get to what we initially thought. Yes. That see, and that's where it's impossible. That, that, that's also where I, I think the out of the box forecasting feature falls a little bit short because mm -hmm. you it, it's always dynamically ahead. Correct. And you don't get to see where the line was, right? Correct. You right. made decision points based on a forecast that you still want to see the forecast line, mm -hmm. right? Like how close we made adjustments at these points based on the forecast. Right. Like I still want to see what that was when reality comes. Right. Because yes. ultimately, whatever the use case, like this is all about kind of anticipating change. Right. In in an organizational unit, Correct. whether that's you know finance, planning, marketing, whatever, or the organization holistically. Right. Like it's mm -hmm. it's about trying to be proactive. And that's why I think the the value behind forecasting is being yes. a, make, making eliciting proactive discussions around particular areas instead of hmm. being reactive because like it's that. only current state data that you're seeing in reporting. Yes, and I, but again, I'll put, yeah, go ahead. Also say, I think I think this conversation with forecasting fits very well with what we've talked about previously around goals. 
or having goals to do things, right? So just putting data on a page and looking at historical reporting information is okay to a degree. And I think um, there's this concept, I mean, I saw it all the time in the business. Uh, we would, the company would make goals. We would get, we would march towards those goals. And for whatever reason, those goals always kept moving. That you get close to the goal. Like if you exceeded your goal a month before the end of the goal, we add another goal. We we improve. Like, hey, you did good. You got to you, right. you got to your mark. Let's add another whatever we're gonna do to sales or numbers or whatever. And if you and if groups of the business didn't meet their goals, what we found happening was the goals would change so they could meet their goals. Like if you're having like supply chain was notorious mm-hmm. for this. <laughs> you, you know, uh, we're going to have a fill rate of this. Well, here's why it didn't work. We ran out of this and oh, we're not going to count those because this is this and this is, there's all these like reasonings. And so that they can make their metrics, or their numbers. And there wasn't, it was muddying the water around what the true metrics were doing. The goals, the goals were adjusting. So having a moving target sometimes was just very difficult to hit. It's yeah. And I, I really love where this is going, but now I just got to solve a problem here where, and that's on the roadmap too. They talked about a build where you can actually add tar- like additional targets based on date. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to see that that difference like over time because yes. then we lose that every time our reports refresh. The yes. only way to do that now is to do a scheduled email. But we can't, that's where I think, at least for me, I would be able to, you know, in a sense, create little additional forecasts or projections in my Excel files because I can say, we were always within 3%. If we just changed, you know, you could do so, those tweaks in an mm-hmm. Excel file, which again, it's impossible to do right now. You'd have to, in a sense, do some add to a table every day, but it's almost like we need like a dynamic static measure or dynamic static values in Power BI where you have the four, like a projection that, you know, is relative to filters or the date. But once the day is over, that will always stay the same. I'm gonna be a right? jerk. I'm gonna be a jerk here, Tommy. I hey, think I think what you're looking for is a data mark that could accept data from something, and you would capture it back in there. So it, I mean, that that would that be, does sound like a great idea. I mean, that to me that would be like one of those good things. Like so, you know, Power BI itself can't hold input records or fields of data, it, right? And yeah. so what we want to do, I mean, to your point, exactly 100%, Tommy. Like. What we want to do is we want to have this this dynamic thing, right? There's a there's definitely going to be a goal, like we're going no argument there. But how are we tracking that goal? And I, to your point, Tommy, earlier about like the the goals are now called metrics feature of PowerBI.com. You know, if you have a goal of, you know, what number of sales or eighty percent of whatever, like whatever that number is, I not only need to track the actual data point matching marching towards that number, I also need to track what the goal was at various points in time. And again, I don't care if the goal changes. I'm not, this is not my argument. My argument I is I just need to know when it does change and why did it change. Right. To me, that's the and that would be really nice if you could then have all this goals information repopulating itself back into this data mart. And, and maybe, again, I'm, I'm totally speculating at this point. This is totally wild speculation. <laughs> but imagine, imagine the day where we could actually have input fields from Power BI writing themselves back into the data mart for some reason if we structured a table in a way that would let us write back to the data mart which now is part of the model which now can be auto refreshed because it's all kind of this own contained environment thing right. so there could be a lot of power there in that and that's where Microsoft, we lose our you need to build this you need to build please, a write back from that, power yeah. reports to the data marts <laughs> well and that's where we lose that insight where again 
I can, if I create a complex measure in DAX, I don't see how accurate that was over time and then be able to tweak that. Yes. Where I want that measure to be in a sense on a table, just like you would do in in Excel, where if I had created this complex calculation, I could see that historically over time in a sense, maybe in a view in a data mart in Excel, you could always see like, okay, we were always 3% off, et cetera. Over that time, you can, we lose that ability to see that, which I think really dictates what we try to forecast or try to project because we, we're kind of lost in the dark. We only know what we know of a certain date. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with that. I need a to lot. solve this though. Well, I mean, I, so here, here's where I think, well, so we've, already, we've kind of talked about like the in, in the box forecasting. I'm not aware of any other standard visuals that produce forecasting other than the line chart. Because the line chart is kind of this time bound chart that gives you uh, standard forecasting but what i will say is power bi allows you to extend forecasting to other places so other places you can add forecasting technology around is r and python so this is again kind of one of these more another layer deeper here is if you're getting closer to whatever that forecasting stuff is doing you can do and there's two places you could do it you could do r or python forecasting inside a visual because you could add the libraries in a r or python visual on the report canvas or you could step back and say, actually, I want to do R and Python inside Power Query. So you could also use R and Python there. So there's actually two options for you to go about this. If you wanted to store data or run compu- computational things inside a data frame, you could do that in Power Query and have those numbers produced and then graphically show them with standard Power BI visuals. So that's one, you can do that option. Or you can then just grab a uh, the measures and dimensions or the dimensions in the calculations and put them on a visual and inside that visual, then you could run the, the whatever kind of formula or, or um, forecasting algorithm you wanted inside Power BI desktop on the canvas side. So those are the only other two, those are the only two places I'm really aware of forecasting. Tommy, are you aware of anything else that I missed? I mean, there's probably some, I know there are some custom visuals on the, on the store that actually do forecasting. They're like forecasting visuals, custom visuals. Yeah. But they're all just using like Python and R. I don't think anyone's writing custom algorithms in custom visual at this right. point. At least I haven't but again, seen any. even with R and Python, though, you lose that insight from that historical view once the data refreshes. Uh, right. I don't know though. I mean, can you use Python and R inside like a data flow, or you could? Can you like write stuff out to a consistent space where you can kind of see that every time it incrementally refreshes? I don't that well, I do know. I don't know. But here's here's what I would say though. Now that you guys have been talking about this, this has triggered a thought in my mind. Forecasting is like a slowly changing dimension. Right. I'll let that Yes. So if you think about it, so a slowly changing dimension is something that continually changes over time. And if you think about it, if you thought about it, think about it, think, hmm, Michael, you're real smart. Think about it. Um, I think about it. Uh, So if you, if you think about what you're doing there, right, realistically, what I think we're doing at some point is every day i should probably or multiple times i don't know every day i should be rerunning the forecast and seeing how that adjusts based on the 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 past information and this is also where i think you know doing forecasting outside of the realm of power bi is probably more impactful because i want to be able to evaluate okay i did a forecast on you know june 1st i want to run all the data through june and then i want to go back and say okay what did the forecast look like on june 1st compared to what we actually did how good was that and what can we do to improve the forecasting for you know july right if we're doing july now what would we change are there other additional features we would add 
would we clean out some yeah. data? Would we would we correct some data? Like, is there data? Is there actually bad data coming in that we weren't able to catch? And we need to. But this is this is my this it, has been out. my point. This has been my point every time this conversation's come up in multiple organizations, mm -hmm. right? Like, it it brings to light the the power that we have in in Power BI, where you're producing current state data right like current mm -hmm. current time evaluated data as of the last refresh which can be extremely powerful right we have measures that show you aggregated fields but m the majority of the time all of that data is okay to be current state right when we talk about forecasting it automatic like there might be value in seeing current state to make a decision but then what we're talking about is immediately after that we're, we're talking retroactively how like we made a decision based on the forecast at that was a point in time what was the ramification of that decision or did that adjust things or as we move along how is the forecast changing all of those are data points that you have to have in the back end because you want to analyze over time are you making the best decisions and the only way to do that is by capturing that along the way, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's where you you I, I think I've gotten into the discussions where no, it's probably better that we store this alongside the the actuals because mm -hmm. then we understand as we're looking at things going forward, did we make the best decision when we were you know when we dealt with this or did we miss something? when we were making planning or doing these yeah. things right and you can't do that in a retroactive way unless you're capturing the state of the forecast yes. as you go through time exactly right i would 100 agree with that one that that's the it's the it's the state in time i think that it's key here right because everything's it's always adjusting and, and again forecasting is like a slowly changing dimension right it, it is continually adjusting and it is always kind of fluid and changing and I feel like a lot of this is. Um, well, I mean, you hope your slowly changing direction is <laughs> yeah. not changing that often. But That's right. Like, well, we account for it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it too, like you know, the the Power BI version of a forecast is, you know, it forecasts everything as a lump sum, right? It's looking. So if you again, if you look at like the line chart for Power BI, if you had all sales for all regions, it's just going to forecast all sales all regions. And the nice part right. is, if you drill into, if you used slicers on the report page. It could drill down to a single region and provide a forecast for the single region, but you can't reevaluate it. I can't compare that. It's not what it's not doing. It's not forecasting down to some subset of information and then aggregating that data back up to the top. So to me, there's again, that's there's that lost area around forecasting. And so my preference is, yeah, I'll use forecasting a little bit here. I think for finance and some teams that, that, where it's just it's easier for them to use the algorithm that's there on some general stuff. I think that's totally fine. But I, yeah. what I would say is if you're really well, it's exploratory, I think it, there's agreed. a very good use case for exploration. I like in that. data. Yes. Um, maybe, maybe less as we get serious into, you know, making big decisions. And so that's based on. Yes. Ordering. And then that's exactly where I think I would go. Right. So when we're starting talking to big decisions, you know, let's really talk about what real forecasting looks like. And, I've also talked to companies as well around, you know, machine learning and data science of, of these things, right? Um, I don't think every company needs 
uh, a dedicated data scientist to do all these things anymore. I think I think there is I think you hire I think you borrow data scientists honestly. I think you come in with a hard problem and say rent, rent them out. Rent them out. <laughs> I mean, uh, they get bored. I mean, everything every every data scientist that I've worked with or I've been in companies, they they come into the company, they solve the hard thing and then the the company runs out of projects and maybe some companies have a lot more data science and data things for them to con- continue, continually stay busy with, but like yeah, there's there's probably less companies are needing like the full time data scientist person. And if you had a very strong data engineer working with a data scientist for a period of time, you can you can get those data engineers to maintain those models that are required or being built by the data scientist. And then you know every six months, a year, you reengage for like another month of effort around. Okay, here's our next big challenge. Come in, data scientist. Let's figure out this next problem. Because again. 70% of all these kind of projects are just cleaning data, right? You get the data science to come in and tell you how to clean your data. What do I need to do to make this clean and nice and ready to go for you? And then, okay, go away. Let me, let me play with this data for like the next three months while I start cleaning it, finessing it. And then, okay, now that we think we've got some cleaner data, come back in and start playing with it and tell me what's really happening here with the data. I think the biggest thing too is like, yeah, we can do from the data science point of view, but that ability to capture a state of time that I think we're more accustomed to with, we'll say static data, or if you're, even if you are pulling an R right where, mm-hmm. you know, you can basically get a subset of the data and store it as a variable and, you know, kind of do your forecasting on that. That's really difficult to do in DAX. Like I mm-hmm. really, DAX really wasn't meant for that. Like just to do like, give me the previous three months and the, you know, the three months before that that's not a fun thing like that, you know, that's not a, uh, out of the box thing where an R or an Excel, that's pretty darn simple to do where I think a lot of those, you know, again, we don't have to have the perfect forecast, but just to have that little, here's little variables that we can change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really DAX wasn't meant for that. Or if, and I think that's where I would love to see either that ability to, Again, either in the data mart or kind of collect subsets of data to have be basically Ooh, my forecasting models. Go. There you go. There you go. Have a where, where I go? A forecasting plugin feature for the data mart. I it's already in data flows, uh, right? So, uh, so a, AI well, not, yeah. use your AI on a data set, man. Yep. Right. Well, like throw throw me throw a data set at it. Give it some criteria. Make and, it and, and have it well, give me it, give me a new column on my make it make my, a table my data make a table of data and stick it here and then update that forecast every month and then it gets you again you get your slowly changing dimension things I think but again this is where I think yeah. you can add more capabilities I mean SQL Server has the ability of handling and tracking slowly changing dimensions for you right and historically tracking those things as well so like I think there's features that you can add in there from SQL Server that would be really helpful inside that data mart area. I'm actually, um, actually, I was, uh, believe it or not, I was, I was playing around with, as we speak here. I'm playing around with data marts, uh, trying to, trying to check something out here. I'm, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're keyed into the conversation. Well, I appreciate. I, I, I think this is funny though, because what, what I was looking for, I was looking. Someone asked a question. I was trying to answer the question on, online. I clicked, I, I accidentally, I clicked on add a data flow in my workspace that already has a data mart, and as soon as I clicked data flow, a pop up window it, came yeah. up and says, "Hey, do you want to build a data mart?" in preview instead of your data flow. And I thought, 
dog. And the dog. yellow button oh. says, "Yeah, let me do that." Yeah, it's, it's like almost hidden to say, "I want yeah. your data flows." They're they're now trying to move you even away from doing. So they're want to. I think if I if I'm reading this right, they want you to ditch data flows altogether and just go with data marks. I don't know, man. There's got to be a distinction. There's got to be a distinction in yeah. these cases. Otherwise, they would they'd be like, "Hey, when we roll this out to GA, we're deprecating this." Dude, I don't see that. GA may be three years away, so who knows how long it's going to take to get there. But man, that that scares me right there because that's going to be like, holy well, smokes! Right? I mean, that's an interesting. That's idea. your your task. Your task to clarify that what what the difference is in in, in the next opener. Yes. Like, I, I, what is the distinction between data flows and data marks? I I think and also the, there's got to be one. There's otherwise there's, that'll be an interesting opener. <laughs> I mean, I I definitely think yeah. We'll, we'll come back to I mean, that there's again. a lot of crossover. I get it, right? But there's got to be a use case for that would be that would be interesting. There's actually a great article where uh, for, he actually used not our memes, but the one from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's basically something like data marts, data flows. What What is all the difference of all of them? And it's the guy with, with the red eyes looking at the chart, which is like, yeah, there's a lot of different products right now that we may not know all the use cases right now. Like where does it actually fit in the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is one of those things that it's one of the features that is disruptive, right. To, mm -hmm. to the, its own ecosystem that we got to sort some things out, which is. Yeah. Okay. Figure it out. <laughs> then we'll so, have another podcast on it. Okay. <laughs> like, hey, we solved the problem. Okay. Uh, so I guess the, the biggest thing, if we, all, a lot of the features we're talking about from the forecasting point of view, I think, it's interesting though too. We didn't talk a lot about the like basically maybe us trying to ask the right questions or in a sense like getting not dictated what we should forecast on, but uh getting that from the requirements. Mm -hmm. Where finance they usually have that, you know, their basic data set has a budget, you know, or forecast and actuals. Mm -hmm. Like they're kind of built on that. So obviously that's much easier, but should it be our job or part of the data culture for us to kind of say like to kind of work that in somehow like you know what is your thresholds i think i think your job tommy would would have been to forecast when you were going to ask that question in the time frame of this podcast because we have five minutes left but <laughs> we, we can address as much as possible sure, yeah <laughs> i think we got time <laughs> Well, we did, let's, we, yeah. let's squeeze it in. Let's talk about the, the setup of fork. How do you, how do you define that in the initial conversations? This, this is one where I, I feel like I, I would only show them the feature exists. And this is a, to your point earlier, Seth, I think I would point this one more towards like, this is a self-discovery mode, right? This is just, this is just looking at based on the historical information you've selected, what is trending a direction or not. I think if you want deeper analysis, you're not going to, you're not going to want to do the standard out of the box forecasting stuff that Power BI provides you. It's just not, to me, it's just not robust enough to track it, check it. Um, I believe you, in the past, I think you could actually create a forecast and then you could export data from that visual and the forecasting data points would come with it. But that's a really not good experience, be able to have to like click on some settings on the page produce the forecast and then export it every single time just to capture the state and time of that forecast. But then you'd have to, you'd have to marry it up to your data set in the back end. Yeah, again, no, it like doesn't yeah. happen. Right. So I think it, for, for demo purposes, right? Like if Shows somebody's well. never seen, seen how you would use forecasting Agreed. in their certain use case, be like, Hey, okay. Why, why? Right. So add the forecast. This is what it would look like on a line chart. I would, 
you know, this would be a dashed line. This would be a solid line, you know, like walking through. Yeah, I agree. Makes sense to me mm -hmm. by using that feature. Or if you're an analyst and you're, you know, trying to understand what, you know, or playing, playing around with forecasts of data to, you know, align with, Hey, like you're, you're validating, maybe, maybe you could use it to validate the forecast. That's actually, you know, yes. being presented by a different group or something like that. Um, but I just, for the use cases, the right back part is problematic then, to, to just use that alone correct. in a production setting. Agre agreed. I agreed. I would agree with that. And, th and that's where I would go. I'd go to, I mean, again, I'm thinking more of like the, you know, other than a showy feature or other than like a, a you know, a, a rough swag, you're kind of taking that little like, uh, do we feel like we're in the, like, right. are we going the right way? Like there's stuff in trending of data that doesn't, that may or may not make sense. You know, one thing I would recommend is if anyone's doing like seasonality or has a seasonal type business, doing things like 52 weeks rolling of total sales, that number doesn't really make sense, but when you look at that number, 52 weeks rolling, there's re these really long trends that start to appear. Are we going up? Are we going down? What's happening? Um, those are the kind of things that I like looking at from a very like a high, very high level view of the world on the on your data, which actually I think make a lot of sense there as well. But I I even argue like a good handful of visuals that are really being articulate about where your business is going might be more impactful than using the forecast feature. Right, maybe a, a, a unique way of using a scatter chart and identifying, you know, changes in your data. Right, comparing, you know, categories against each other over time. Um, there's actually a really interesting chart that you can actually have a scatter chart with a play axis, and then it will actually plot the data points of like as the circle moves around the chart. I think Microsoft just did that one in their Gartner uh, test. I guess they just did Gartner for 2022. They had a really cool chart that did that. So. Little things like that, I think, yes, yeah, maybe we can see some forecasting things, but I think really it's, you know, it's been, the reason the forecasting is there is to identify of all my data, here's the three categories that were way below performance. We're trying to identify, pick out the anomalies, pick out the stuff that's like way off base and correct for those things. I don't know. That's just my opinion. What do you think, Tommy? I, man. I, I was thinking that this conversation would be like, yeah, an hour would be good, but this is one of those that I feel like we'll take it offline. It's further to think about. We'll I think argue more I about it want, later on. We'll argue more about it. <laughs> I half the stuff we talked about is not necessarily available right off the bat. And I think that's where I'm, I'm not getting upset, but I'm struggling with, there's gotta be a way to do that, to do that, or at least do some way to try to catalog that information because if it's not available now in DAX or in a sense, an incredibly complex method of going about it, hmm. how could I easily add just some basic classification, just some basic um, insights that are not just historical for a user without having to, you know, create a whole other data model and create a data flow that's yep. unique of everything. But I think too, is also starting with the user where, asking them the right questions where, and we've talked about this a bunch, but obviously if they may, they don't might not have like a goal, like we're trying to get 25 leads, but are there thresholds? Would you be upset if, you know, this particular metric was, you know, down 50, 50%, would that cause concern? Just trying to understand where their alerts are and then at least having, you know, again, some context on each measure itself, which 
usually how I went about it with Excel to just starting with asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I would probably echo like, you know, depending on a couple of those initial questions, I think should push you towards, yes, we can, we can allow you to forecast your own things in a visual. Here's, I mean, I think it's us as the BI professionals. It's us up to us to provide, here's the limitations of what you're deciding on. Look, this right. feature exists. Here's where, it, here's where it may fit your use case. Take it for what you will. And then at least having the ability to have, I mean, again, you know, we, we want to provide options. So our other option is, okay, if you don't want this, if these limitations are unacceptable to you, then we have to produce like an entirely separate something else that's going to go get data from the model and produce these, these forecasts in some other system that's going to give you that more robust capability around projecting and, and moving things forward for that data, capturing it, storing it, you know, making that forecast like that slowly changing dimension. Right, because we don't want to just do forecasting for the sake of forecasting. We're nope. usually it's trying to make someone either, you know, spend more money or push back on on, on their budget. So, and There's like the, I said, I think that yeah, you don't want to throw good money after bad, right? I mean, right. This is also too like you also have to take the the forecasting with a grain of salt to some degree. I think at some level, right? Yes, you can use it. You can start relying on it, but like until you've proven it out, until you have things like the MAPE. Uh, the mean average mean percentage. What did I call it earlier? I was looking that up. Um, mean absolute mean percent error. Yeah. If you have something like that that can actually evaluate how accurate your forecast is, now you can start relying on it, right? If you if you do the forecast multiple times and you can keep running it and it's it's proving out to be fairly accurate, great. That's what you can use. But you don't get there is no way of proving out the MAPE on an existing Power Bay report with a forecast on top of it. So that's where I struggle. Anyways, I think we've done it. I think we've we've burned through a, an adequate hour of time talking about forecasting and again a lot about data marts because uh, we enjoy that so much. Anyways, uh, our only ask or only request: if you found some value from the podcast, if you really enjoyed what we were talking about, um, please uh, go ahead and subscribe, hit the bell. It really helps us out. If you liked the podcast or this one particularly, maybe triggered some good thoughts, please consider giving it a thumbs up. Um, it actually really helps our numbers. It, it helps get the the, it helps the algorithm figure out more people like what we're doing. So we really appreciate it if you do that and share it with, share it with one other person. If there's somebody else that you think would love this or want to talk to forecasting, or you've had these kind of conversations before, uh, I recommend you share it out on one of the social platforms. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere. They are available on Apple and Spotify. Please leave us a rating. It helps us out a ton. Uh, if you are listening right now, Join the conversation live. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30 a.m. Central. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next week.